tonight we're going to just open this up to Q&A discussion. So over the past, what has it been, six or seven weeks, um, we have been going over a series called Boundaries. And the series has predominantly been surrounded around um, what, what boundaries, biblically, should we put in place in our singleness, in our dating relationships, um, as we search for a spouse in our marriage. So I entitled the series Boundaries, Understanding God's Best in Relationships, because the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to uh, love one another in our romantic relationships, in our marriages, the healthy sexual boundaries that God has given us, not just to kill our fun, but for our benefit. And so um, we've gone over a lot of different topics over the last six weeks. If you've missed any, you can catch up on our YouTube channel. Um, but tonight, we just wanted to open the floor. You can text in your questions to 703-844-9969. And you can text in all your questions concerning relationships or dating or marriage. And I've invited Pastor Andy tonight to uh, really... Um, maybe clean up what I've said over the past six weeks. As he uh, has, has been on staff for uh, 20-some years here, he's my uncle as well, by the way. Um, and, uh, and he's a counselor. He's a, he's a professional counselor on staff. Uh, he did my wife and I's premarital counseling, has done a few of yours as well in the room tonight, and just is a wealth of biblical wisdom concerning all things relationships, uh, you know, dating and married and um, even just what does it look like now that we're young adults, we're adults, what does it look like with um, being in, in, in the, the home of our parents now and how does, how does that relationship look? And so I've asked Pastor Andy to join me tonight and, uh, and, and we're just going to dive into all the questions you have. So you can text again your questions into 703-844-9969. I will be receiving those and, um, and Pastor Andy is going to provide some good biblical wisdom for us tonight. Um, Andy, welcome to Young Adults tonight. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, and uh, I look forward to it, and we'll see if we can uh, answer some questions tonight. And you, are you a young adult? Are you? I am no longer a young adult. Yeah, Um, I didn't think so. I think I aged out of the ministry a year, 20 years ago, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pastor Andy, so... Um, Let's start with this question, and I think this is a good question that kind of sets the foundation before we even dive into what does it mean to be a good spouse or what does it mean to um, be a good dating partner, Uh, but what does the Bible have to first say on what does it mean to be a man or a woman of God? And that seems like such a basic question, but really in our society today, in our culture today, where um, this question is so confusing that the questions out there, what, what is a woman or uh, what, what is a man or what can a man do or can't a man do? And I think that our culture kind of looks down now on masculinity. Mm-hmm. So it's confusing now living in this culture to ask that question. What does it mean to be a woman or what does it mean to be a man? But biblically speaking, what does it mean to be a man of God and a woman of God? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have to complicate it necessarily. I, I think when you look in the New Testament, I mean, Jesus is calling his followers, his disciples. He's basically just saying, follow me. So, I mean, when I think of what does it mean to be a man of God, it just simply starts with, I just want to follow him and follow his example. Um, you know, Jesus was a leader. 
um, he was loving, he was kind. And so we can use his example. You can look through the New Testament and find this is what it means to, to, to be a man um, of God. I think it's really important, um, regardless if you're in a relationship or maybe you're married, um, that question, am I the man that God called me to be? Or am I the woman that God has called me to be? I think you'll be asking yourself that question. Um, I turned 50 last summer. I'm still asking myself that question. I still want to be the man that God has called me to be. And someday when I get to heaven and see Jesus and he says, Andy, were you the man that God called me to be? Usually I'll think about that question a lot and think, how will I answer? And what excuses will I try to use? Well, but my job, or well, but my, my wife, or my, my kids this. And it's basically just no excuses. Are you the man that God called me to be? And I don't think Jesus is going to allow for any excuses. Basically, were you following me? Were you, were you with your heart trying to follow me and be the man that, that I called you to be? And, and again, that question is for you, whether you're 19 or, or whether you're, you're 39 um, or 50 like myself, that is... Am I following Jesus? Am I trying to follow him? Am I living within, um, within his will? And um, that'll be a question that we'll ask and, and you'll ask yourselves. Um, Austin asks him, himself that as well. But I picture myself um, in heaven looking at Jesus and him saying, Andy, were you the, were you the man that I called you to be? And, and that's the question. And basically, and my, my thinking is, have I been following him? Um, have I been honoring others? Have I been kind to others? It's, I, I use it, I think of it this way. God loves me. He blesses me. He encourages me. He strengthens me. He fills me up with his spirit, uh, fills me up with hope, and then he wants me to share that with others. And so to be the man that God has called me to be is, am I loving others? Am I forgiving others? Am I accepting others? Am I encouraging others? Am I following Jesus' example? That's probably the simplest way I could put it. Yeah, you see, you see in the New Testament when Jesus is just doing life and ministry with people, uh, you see a tough side of Jesus who um, stood up for the weak. Uh, you see a very tender side of Jesus. And so um, I always kind of keep that view in mind as well in trying to emulate the character of Jesus while he was here, um, there are times where, uh, yeah, we, we are called to be bold. Uh, we're called to be tough. Um, we are called to um, not compromise on our morals biblically. And there, then there are times where Jesus expressed an immense amount of grace where I would be quick to pass judgment or I'd be quick to condemn someone. And uh, Jesus was very tender and loving with people, like the woman caught in adultery. That was a moment where he expressed both his tough side but his tender side as well. Because the woman who was caught in adultery, he called that woman uh, to leave her life of sin. That's a bold statement. Leave your life of sin. But he said, where are your condemners? And she looks around and she says, there's no one. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So he, he expressed a love and a grace and a compassion towards this woman but was also tough and, hey, leave your life of sin as well. So I always try to keep that tension in mind as, as I uh, learn what it means to be a man after the Lord's heart or for, for the ladies, a, a woman after uh, God's heart as well. Um, Andy, this is a question that I've been asked frequently 
um, and that we're already getting several of these questions in, so I'm going to try to paraphrase it to this one question. Uh, What should my relationship look like with my parents now that I'm an adult? Hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about boundaries in this series, and one of the topics I really haven't touched on over these last six weeks is what are some of the healthy boundaries that now we should have with our parents? Um, And so what wisdom could you share with us, Pastor Andy, regarding the boundaries we should have now with our parents? Many of us are, are adults, but we're still living at home. Um, so what should my relationship look like with my parents now that I'm an adult? Yeah, the first thing I think of is um, as you become an adult, your relationship with your parents goes from one of obedience to one of honor. That's probably the simplest way I, I, can, I could phrase it. I realize there are so many different situations and questions like specifics. What about in this situation? What about in this situation? And when we can... We can and to try to answer those one-on-one. But when I think of someone, a, a child in the home who's 12 versus someone in the home who's 22, I think the, the 12-year-old is called to obey. I think the 22-year-old is called to honor. I think, I think your goal, and will be for, for as long as your parents are alive, your goal will be to honor them. But it won't be necessarily to obey them. And so there is this breaking point as you become an adult that says, I'm going to have to make my own decisions. Um, now, when, if you're living in their home, then there's going to be some more, um, more that they're going to have, almost like a landlord. If landlord says, hey, you need to clean up this mess, you're like, yeah, okay. Um, so does that feel like obedience? Sure. But if you were living on your own and there was a landlord and they said, hey, the yard is looking really rough. Can you take care of it? You would do that you wouldn't call it like obedience, like you probably wouldn't have an attitude like you would with your parents. But the goal is I'm transitioning from someone who obeys them to someone who tries to show them honor. And so I think that's the real question that you ask yourself as an adult, that I would ask myself as an adult. What does it look like to honor my mother and father? What does it look like to honor them? Um, I want to listen to them. I want to show them respect. I want to get input from them. And they're really feeling really strongly. I think you should do this. I think you should do that. You're taking that input. You're showing their respect. You're listening to them. But I don't think at, at, at the age of an adult is, is something where you say, okay, yes, they want me to do this. I have to do this. Um, it, it's honoring to listen to them, to consider um, what they're saying, to be respectful um, to them. So I think that's the question. What does it look like to honor my parents? Even if I don't, even if I disagree with them, and and that's a real challenge. But it's it's probably happened with everyone in this room. I disagree with my parents. I don't have to obey them per se anymore. I'm 22 years old, but I still want to honor them. How can I disagree and still honor? The reality is that's going to be a skill that you're going to want to learn throughout the rest of your life. Can you disagree with honor? Can you fight fair is a skill that you're going to want to learn with your spouse. Statistics show, research shows that the couples that last aren't the couples who never fight. They're the couples who learn to fight with honor. Couples who learn to fight fair. The couples who call each other names and threaten divorce and swear at each other and yell at each other and fight dirty, those are the couples that that aren't going to last. So your goal is, as a person... Can I honor my boss? 
Can I honor my parents? Can I honor my friends? Can I disagree with them and yet still show them honor? And so that's something that you'll be learning and it's not just with your parents. It may feel harder with your parents because, because you get stirred up easily and there's a lot of emotion behind it. A lot of times it's easier to have a conversation with your neighbor than it is your parents because um, your neighbor doesn't stir you up so quickly. You don't get so upset so easily um, with your neighbor. But it's a real challenge and it's something to, definitely to be praying about. Say, I want, I want to honor my parents I don't have to listen to exactly everything that they say or obey everything that they say anymore as an adult, but I still want to show them honor. And sometimes that can be a challenge. And um, so, but I would be asking that in, in every situation as a young adult. What does it look like to honor my parents in this, in this situation? Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I want to shift to um, some of just these, these questions that are coming in regarding singleness and dating. Um, but these are interesting questions. Um, that, you know, a few, a few people have kind of been asking uh, similar questions here. Um, so, Andy, I'm going to throw you a few questions that sound very similar, and then you can kind of summarize the question into one if you want. But someone asks, how should someone be conducting themselves in a relationship with opposite gender friends? Um, someone else is asking, um, what are some emotional boundaries a girl should have when being friends with a guy versus when dating a guy? What, mm. what, what does that look like? Um, you know, what's the first question again? I so was the first question like, was um, how should someone be con- gender? How should that? be someone? How should someone be conducting themselves in a relationship with friends of the opposite gender? I guess like this question maybe okay. maybe maybe the person's asking you know what are some of the boundaries I should have with like if I'm if I'm a guy. What are some boundaries I should have with, with girls who are just friends, but we're not dating? Is it okay to flirt, be flirtatious, but you don't want to lead them on? Um, I don't yeah, know, you want to... I, I, I'm probably going to simplify this, but I, I think that's okay because obviously we only have so much time. I mean, we've got like 30 minutes to discuss things that people have been writing books about for years. So, but for just to simplify it, I go back to scripture and just think, there, there are one another scriptures um, in the New Testament. Paul had a lot of one another scriptures. You, you look those up. You do a study on what it, whenever, the, whenever the Bible says one another. And I think that that's the way you treat each other. And you treat friends that way. I, I want to treat my wife that way. I mean, when the Bible talks about forgive one another as I have forgiven you, that's a one another verse. How are we to treat our friends? We're to forgive, forgive one another. How, I'm, I'm to forgive my wife. I want my wife to, to forgive me. How are we to do that? As God has forgiven us. The Bible says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Um, so love one another just as I have loved you. How has he loved me? He's loved me conditionally. The Bible says, honor one another above yourselves. So if I'm in a relationship, I'm not sure if it matters if I'm a friend, a good friend, if I'm dating, if I'm courting, if I'm like serious, I don't yeah. know. Like I, I, I'm still to honor that person. And if I'm not, if I'm not honoring them, um, or learn, if I'm not, le- if I haven't learned how to do that, see, the, the Christian life would be very easy if we were by ourselves, if we were on a deserted island, because all those one another verses wouldn't even apply. But then in friendship, in interaction, um, in relationship, we get to practice what it looks like to forgive, to honor, to accept, 
to be kind. The Bible says be kind to one another, accepting one another just as Christ has accepted you. So all those one another verses, they get good practice the closer you get to someone, the closer friend that you have. Because to, to tell the truth, how much forgiveness are we are forgiving people that we just acquaintances that we don't really know? The, the hard part comes in when you have a close friend and they hurt you and then you have an opportunity to forgive. If you don't care about that person, you don't have an op- you're not worried about you know, accepting and honoring that the closer you get, the more practice that, that you have. Um, but you're not going to stop practicing. Um, yeah, I've been married 29, Uh-oh. 20, I'll be, it'll be 29, 29 years, uh, this August. I'm not, I continue to practice what it, what these, what these things look like. Um, so yeah. I'm not sure it changes too much, but I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify the question. Yeah. Pastor Andy's like the king of simplifying things. And I mean that in a great way. I'll go to him with a complex question and he'll boil it down to like, you mean this? And I'm like, yeah, thanks. And then I'll like leave and he'll be like, yeah, that was like super easy. Um, I, I think maybe some of the heart of the question is what, um, you know, if, if you have a friendship, uh, let's say you're a guy, you're friends with a girl, um, or you're in a group of friends, what kind of boundaries should you have with the opposite gender? You're not dating, but you're just friends. I would say this. I would say be, you be the person that you are looking for. Um, a lot of people are like looking for, like I, I'm looking for this kind of a girl. And my question is, well, are, are you first being that? Um, so what I would say is like, guys, like you probably don't want to be pursuing a girl who's flirtatious with all of her guy friends. Um, and, uh, and so you would be, you, you first want to be that, um, that person. And so if, if you don't want to be pursuing guys, if you, if you guys don't want to be pursuing a girl who's just flirtatious with all of her friends, well, you first have to examine yourself and say, well, is that how I act around girls? Like, am I just flirtatious with, you know, every girl in my friend group? Because, um, and that's kind of like my reputation. Because typically we always, we, we want to be the person um, that we're looking for. But sometimes, like, we have different expectations for the person that we're looking for than we do for ourselves. So I'm looking for... Um, you know, before I married Morgan, I was looking for a girl who is just genuine, who is real, not just like, not flirtatious. Her reputation was not a flirtatious reputation. She loved the Lord, obviously, um, had a good social group of girlfriends. Um, and then I had to examine myself. Well, do I like lead girls on and am I, am I flirtatious with a ton of girls? And, and so I would say, guys, be the person First, that you are looking for in a girl, and vice versa, girls, you you be looking for a guy that um, that you first are. And so, I don't know if that really helps answers the question, but some of those healthy boundaries we should have in our in our friendships. Um, don't don't be overly flirtatious. Is it okay to flirt? Sure, but don't be known as someone with that kind of a reputation. Um, so, yeah, there are some boundaries you should have with your friends of the opposite gender because you don't want to have necessarily a a bad or wrong reputation. Um, I don't know if Andy, if you want to clean that up at yeah, all. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, it, it, here's what here's what came to mind. You know, as Austin's talking, the idea of being yourself, of being sincere, um, that happens easiest 
when we've learned to become content. When, when you've learned to become content, it's, it's easier to be yourself and it's easier not to, to stop trying. I think some of that flirtation comes from I'm trying to attract attention. Um, obviously, some of you are more introverted and some of you are more extroverted. I don't want to say flirtation is just a natural extroversion, but if flirtation is I'm trying to get attention because I need it, because I need the attention, because I'm not content, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel um, satisfied in my relationship with the Lord, so I need to get that from, from others. There's a sense of contentment that, will, that you'll need as an adult for the rest of your life, and it's not just in your, it's not just in your 20s. And trust me, marriage isn't going to solve that for you. Some of, the, some of the most difficult situations that I have, I, I've probably done premarital counseling with over 300 couples. One of the things we try to always address is expectations. The expectations that I'm struggling with anxiety, but once I get married, my anxiety will be gone. Or I don't like this about myself, but once we get married, that, that person will complete me. That person will make me whole. That person will make me happy. That person will, will meet my needs. There's a verse in James. It's, it's almost uh, funny. Um, it says, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Um, it's your desires that battle within. You want something, but don't get it. You look to others to meet your needs instead of looking to God. And it says you kill and covet because you don't have what you want. It's, so, it's like so extreme. It's like we kill and covet, really? But it says your fights and quarrels, the things that cause the most tension with you and other people are because you're relying on them instead of relying on God. And so to rely on others to do for you what only God can do, it's setting them up for failure and it's setting you up for disappointment. So if you're looking for that person to meet your needs or fulfill you or to make you happy or to, to, to take away your anxiety, trust me, if, if you struggle with alcohol or addiction before you get married, you're going to struggle with it afterwards. Marriage doesn't solve these things. So this idea of being content with who you are as a single person, you're going to be able to carry that through in, into marriage. It's going to be a wonderful thing. But the, the, the sooner you realize I'm going to rely on God to meet my greatest needs. That's going to allow you to be yourself. You're going to be content with yourself. You're not going to be striving to be someone that you're not. And that's going to be the best way for someone to meet you anyways is realize this, obviously, because if you're dating and only putting your best foot forward and trying to be something that you're not, it's, it's going to take a while, but eventually they're going to figure out, oh, this isn't the person I thought you were, and we, we just wasted six months. Be content with who you are. Learn to be content with who you are. I'm not trying to suggest that it's easy. Learn to be content who you are. Look to God to meet your greatest needs. Find a peace with that. And, and then when you're married, you'll have to go through that and, and you'll continue with that because you realize, I can't rely on my spouse to make me happy. That's not their job. I can't rely on my spouse for peace. I can't rely on my spouse for strength. I can't rely on my spouse for encouragement. I need to look to the Lord for those things. The sooner you can do that as a single person, the, the better off you'll be. And, and, the, 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 as soon as, and to make sure when you get married, you don't shift those expectations and that reliance from the Lord onto your new spouse uh, the better off you'll be as well. Um, so this is kind of like a two-part question, but it, it's, it's a very similar question. Um, so I'll, I'll ask both, Andy. As a single man, 
What are some things I should look for in a future spouse? And what are some things I should avoid? And then we have another question. As a single girl who desires to be married, what does waiting upon the Lord for a spouse look like? So how would you like to answer that question? Do you want to summarize that question into one? Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to, to try to narrow it down and say, what should I be looking for? Um, I, I think personality is fascinating. I, I think some personalities are, are, are good fits for others. I, I, think, I think to look at someone who um, you enjoy being around, who you can be yourself with. Um, uh, Austin shared what he was looking for. Someone who's sincere, someone who's following the Lord, someone, who, someone whose relationship with the Lord um, is, is solid and... and, and um, but I think I think it's such an interesting question. I, I think some I, to, to to decide like here's what you look for. I think that may be narrowing it down a little bit because I think if I were having a conversation with two different guys, I think the answer would be different. <laughs> and then you add, you know, there's probably you know 150 guys in here, so the, I think the answer would be really it'd be really interesting. But but yeah, you're going to want to look for someone who's who's sincere, someone who loves the Lord, and someone who's comfortable. Um, um, and content with, with, with who they are. Waiting on that person, the second part of that question, mm-hmm. I think is, is challenging. Um, I think sometimes it feels really challenging when you're single, and I think you, you put it, 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 become, it feels overwhelming or it magnifies or it feels like, wow, this, is, this waiting is horrible or this waiting is overwhelming or why am I waiting so long? And I'm like, you know, I've, I've been waiting for years to find the right person and no one, but the reality is that waiting upon the Lord is gonna be something again. And maybe this is a theme, but I didn't, I'm not trying to suggest this, but waiting upon the Lord is something that you should probably learn because you'll be waiting upon the Lord for the rest whole of your life. life. Yeah. So, right. so it's really not that much harder to do it in your 20s than it is in your 30s than it is in your 40s. What you're waiting upon him for may change, right. but you're going to continue to be waiting on him. So learn to, learn to wait on the Lord and, and to be patient on him and to wait for his best. The, the challenge is we rush into getting married. I know, I know a lot of single people who want to be married Unfortunately, I know a lot of married people who wish they were single. Mm-hmm. So we rush into it, and then we realize, wow, marriage is hard. But we left, we, we, we wanted to get out of singleness so quickly because we're like, man, being single is hard. I don't doubt that it, I don't doubt that it is. I don't doubt in our culture and in, in our world that the, the idea of being single, I'm sure it can be lonely and it can be disappointing and it can be frustrating. I don't, I don't doubt that. But I know a lot of 20s and 30s and 40 year olds who are married and they feel lonely and frustrated and, um, mm-hmm. as well. So I, it's not, you're not. It kind of goes back to what you're saying, like marriage doesn't fix all your problems. Expectations, yeah. So, so to think, oh, well, well, once I'm married, then, then I won't feel this way or then I won't have that problem. And so we, we, we start to create this unrealistic expectation of what, of what being married's like, almost like it's the Garden of Eden and we're like, no, you're still on earth, um, even when you're married. And that, that leads to a lot of disappointment. And, and, um, and, and it's unfair to your spouse um, to have that disappointment, to realize, oh, I thought everything would be solved when I got, 
when I got married. So it goes back to that contentment. Can I be content mm-hmm. being single? Can I wait upon the Lord? Can I wait for his best? Or am I gonna take matters into my own hands? You look through the Old Testament. I mean, how many examples do you have of people that take matters into their own hands? They try to solve something and, and rather than wait for God's best. Um, but man, waiting on the Lord, that's a theme. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, I don't like the, like, there's people that waited. I mean, David was anointed king. I mean, I don't, I don't know, what do you wait, 13, 17 years yeah, before? About, yeah. I don't, you know, so 15. I don't want to say, yeah, you're going to be waiting 15 years. But the idea is God promises something. He doesn't always come through, and his timing may not feel like it's your timing. So he'd be like, yeah, God, I've been waiting three years. He's like, wait, wait another three. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's, if that's what God is, is best, that, that's what's that's what's best. You can take matters into your own hands and try to force it. Um, I just don't see that going well for you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I, but I will. Um, I think that you should, guys and girls, you should look for someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. And you can tell if you've been in a relationship, many of you have been in relationships where um, you, you can tell the relationship isn't um, going so well and it's time to go your separate ways and when you kind of allude to the fact that I think it's time for us to break up yeah sure a breakup is hard a breakup is really rough um, and, and a breakup can um, you can be sad for a while um, but you've seen and maybe maybe it's been you um, or maybe you broke up with someone and they just didn't know how to function afterwards. And their whole identity was wrapped up in that relationship with you. And maybe that's been your experience where you now realize, man, my whole identity was wrapped up in that relationship. And when my boyfriend or girlfriend called it off, it just wrecked me. And yeah, again, you, you, you might be sad and experience frustration or confusion. Like, I don't know why we broke up. Sure, that's, that's healthy, that's normal, that's fine. But if you like wake up the next day, you just don't even know how to function, that might kind of tell yourself that that relationship was kind of like an idol. And you put too much weight and an emphasis of your identity in that other person. And so what really attracted me about Morgan was I knew if Morgan and I don't get married, Morgan's going to be fine without me because she loves the Lord and she has the Lord. And yes, it would be really sad if Morgan, you know, I propose and Morgan rejects me. That would be really sad. That would be heartbreaking. But Morgan would be content in her relationship with the Lord. That's what really attracted to me about her was I could tell that she loved the Lord more than she loved me. And that, I think, should be the foundation of, of, of your search for a spouse is as you observe, as you serve with them, as you get plugged into the body of Christ and as you're just hanging out with them, um, you, you'll begin to observe and discern, does this person love Jesus more than they love me? And that, that I think, is, should be a, a bedrock um, of, of your search for a spouse. It's very interesting, too, like in the Bible, like wh- what does waiting upon the Lord look like? Um, how, how can I find a spouse? So I, I think it looks different for each person. I was just reading in Genesis, Andy, um, the differences between um, how Isaac found his wife, Rebecca, and how Jacob found his wife, Rachel. It just looked different. Like, it doesn't always look the same for all of us, and that's what we need to 
understand is like we have to stop playing the comparison game. Social media doesn't help out with that. We look on social media and we see they're the same age as me. They're already engaged. They're already married. They already got that promotion. And we think that God's will for them has to look like God's will for us. God's way for them has to look like God's way for us. But it looks different from person to person. Isaac, uh, Isaac was waiting in the field. That's literally what the Bible says. Like Abraham sent a servant to go find Rebekah. Isaac is waiting in the field and the Bible says that Isaac looks up and there's Rebecca and he falls in love with her and they get married. And, I'm, and I read that. And I'm like, man, God, God, could you just like bring my spouse to me? I'll just, all I have to do is lay in a field. <laughs> Sounds great. And then Jacob, the Bible says that Jacob, he went to a well and the Bible says that his bride to be Rachel was coming to the well. And what does Jacob do? The Bible says that he that there was a cover over the well. So what does he do? He lifts up the rock, puts it to the side. You're like trying to impress Rachel. Lifts up the boulder, tosses it to the side. And then what does he do next? He goes to Rachel and he weeps and he kisses her. That's so weird. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, that's weird. But like, I don't, Jacob was just in touch with his emotions. But he pursued Rachel. He sees her. He tries to impress her. Lifts the rock, throws it over. And then he weeps. And Rachel... She, I guess she digs it. She likes it. That would have been weird for me. I would have been like, no, this is weird. This is, this is odd. But the point is, what, what was for God's will for Isaac was different than God's will for Jacob. And it, and it just looked different. Um, but I think back to Andy's point, that waiting on the Lord is the key. And, and that discipline never goes away. And so you need to learn to wait upon the Lord now. Um, because you're going to be waiting upon the Lord for other things and other circumstances in your life. And, and so waiting upon the Lord is a discipline you need to learn now. And what does that look like? Well, it just looks like seeking the Lord. What does Jesus say in the New Testament? Seek first the kingdom of God and, all these th- and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So our focus as believers is to how can I please the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? Just how can I live rightly with the Lord? And the Lord will take care of everything else. We get that inverted sometimes. We, we first are preoccupied with looking for a spouse and then pleasing the Lord once he delivers. You know what I'm saying? Um, but when our focus is just, Lord, on a day-to-day basis, how can I please you? My goal is just to please the Lord, fill with the Holy Spirit. Lord, how can I please you today? Then the Lord will take care of, of the relationships and the job. And so our job is to wait on the Lord, to live rightly before the Lord and allow him to open up those opportunities when it comes to meeting people and, and get involved in church and serve. Andy, what else do you have to say about that? Um, you can go on to the next question. Okay. Um, well, this is kind of, and this is, this is going to be an interesting question, Andy, because it kind of piggybacks off of what we've been talking about. Um, but this is a question I often get a lot. It's a question that's coming in via the text. How do you know when you found the one? And do you, do you believe in that there is the one? Like God has preordained the one for you. And, and I know some people land on there's the one. And some people think that's maybe an over-spiritualization of that concept that there's only one person. But how do you know when you found the one? And uh, I mean, I, I, like when you met... Aunt Darla, how did you know? Like, she's the one. She was the one for me. 
Um, I, and what do you think I, about I, that phrasing? I know it doesn't, I hesitate to say it because probably the more popular romantic answer is, yeah, there is only one. I don't know that I believe that. I, when I met my wife, I think it was just the timing was right. Um, so t- I think timing is so important in, in Scripture. When, when you, um, a lot of times you, you read through Scripture and we'll, we'll skip over those words where it just says, at that time, at that time, and at, at that time, at the right time, and mm-hmm. in that moment, and, and immediately God did this, and, and in that time, in that season. So if, if she was the one, I met her in a season where both of us were, were ready um, and so then she was, she was the one. I don't know. Um, I, think, um, I think that's a really hard question to figure out. What, who, who's the right, who is the right one? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's tough to try to narrow it. How do you know, how do you know this is the one? I, I mean, I would, ask, I would ask family and friends, um, um, and then be open and listen to their answer. Because if you think it's the one and no one else does, you don't want to hear it. Like you think, no, I know best, you know, type thing. And ask your parents. You don't want to listen to your parents, especially if they don't think it, that, you know, you're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but sometimes they do. So ask people, ask people around you if what they see. Um, I think you would, it would be the right one because you can be yourself. Um, because you're not trying, you're not trying to perform, you're not trying, yeah. you know, to, to be someone to be someone that you're not. Um, you you they're the one because they know who you are and you know who they who they are. Um, and there's more of a um, there there's there's not just the physical attraction which is important, but there's an emotional connection, there's a spiritual connection as well. It's interesting. Our society right now it is it's so wild how. Satan and the world has both elevated the physical and devalued it all at the same time. Mm. So I'll just say, just, just touch on this really briefly. You, everyone has known couples, and maybe you've been that couple yourself, where the physical is the most important part of the relationship. And it's hard for that relationship to last. The world makes, it think, makes you think that the physical is the most important thing, most important part. You watch any movie, you watch any TV show, it's a relationship. if the relationship is good, it's the physical is the most important part. And yet at the same time, the world has cheapened it to where it's kind of like, yeah, and you can share the physical with as many people as you want and it doesn't matter. Hmm. So it's so interesting. It's kind of like elevated it and devalued it all at the same time, which actually seems really difficult to do, but it's actually, it's, the world has done that. Mm. God says, hey, the physical is important. It, it's, it's, God created the physical, but the way to, do, to get there, the way to have physical intimacy in your relationship is through purity. See, the world doesn't teach that. And then also it says, hey, there's an emotional connection as well that you have where you care for one another, you're kind to one another, you're, you're, you um, have a conversation with one another, you put someone else first, you serve one another. There's the emotional side, and then there's the spiritual side as well. 
that iron sharpens iron, and you guys are able to, to serve together, and you guys are able to, to share um, what God is doing in your life together. So, and those, are, those parts are just as important as the physical. So you have all three of those, and when, it, when I think of, okay, well, how do I know that this person's the one? It's more than just the physical. It's more than they're just my friend. So there's the physical here, they're, they're a really close friend here, and then there's the spiritual that says, yeah, we're trying to honor God together, and we, we're growing. This person actually makes me want to be a better Christian. This, this person makes me want to be a better man or a better, better woman. I need to read my Bible more. I need to grow more. I need to become more mature because they're, they're encouraging me in that direction. Um, and so I think the, when you have those three, then you should notice like, there's something about this relationship. It's not just physical. It, we're not just f- friends, like, we, you know, where we can share anything with one another. Um, there's a spiritual component as well. There's all three of those. And I think when, when you have all three of those, um, you, you should take notice, and there's something there. Yeah, it's really good. That, you know, when, when um, Morgan and I were dating, and, um, you know, I, I felt uh, the Lord was calling me to marry her, it was everything that, that Pastor Andy mentioned. It, obviously, you have the foundation already set. She loves the Lord. She's a believer. Um, uh, we, we agree biblically on our values, and that's the foundation. But then the rest of it is, like, it was just easy. And I, I didn't have to pretend to be someone I wasn't, like Andy said, to conform to her idea of of the guy she wanted and vice versa. Like, it was just very natural. It was easy. We both just had a, a peace that this was the right timing for the both of us. And so, again, aside from the foundation of we both love the Lord, we're both pursuing the Lord, um, it was exactly as Pastor Andy said. Like, she, my, my love for her compelled me to grow deeper in my walk with the Lord. Like, I want to be a good man for this woman. And so it drove me to just read my Bible, be in the Word, and um, have more self-accountability. And again, it was just, it was easy, it was natural. I wasn't, I didn't have to be someone I wasn't. Um, and the Lord just gave me a peace and gave her a peace. And, and so, yeah, it was just like, this is the one that the Lord has, has brought for me at this, uh, this season of my life. And, and now that we are married, now it is like, is this the one? Yes, this is the one. This is the one for you. And this is the one for me. Um, and so it was, again, just as Pastor Andy mentioned, just uh, it, was, it was easy. And, um, and so hopefully that helps just give wisdom to that question there. Um, Andy, this kind of goes back to healthy boundaries within friendships of the opposite gender. Because I do want to touch on this. But should guys have close girlfriends when dating, engaged, and married? And, and what would you speak to that? What would you say to that? Um, this would probably be more of like a personal opinion. So I don't know that I would have scripture to back this up. Um, but yeah, you can have friends of the opposite sex when... I, let me say it this way. The... <laughs> The closer you get to your spouse, mm-hmm. the less friends of the opposite sex you should have. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. As, as a married man, um, I don't want to have any close friends of the opposite sex. 
I don't want to be funny to the opposite sex. I don't want to flirt with the opposite sex. I don't go to lunch with the opposite sex or hang out or spend time with. Um, you, you, again, when, when you're married, the, the way, the way f- physical intimacy, the way that God's created that through purity, it's like that's my wife, she's the only one that I should want to look cool for, look good for, try to impress. If I'm trying to, um, if I have a counseling session with a, a female and I'm worried about how I look and I'm trying to dress a certain way or trying to smell a certain way so that I can attract her, that would be a major red flag, right? So, but... So I w- I'd say it's almost like a degree, like the closer you get mm-hmm. to, because really what, you're, what you would want to do, and, and this would be a good you know, challenge if you, let's say you're, you're dating a guy and you would like to get more serious, but he has a lot of female friends, that would be maybe like a signal to say, well, maybe he's not too serious. Maybe he doesn't want to get too serious, or maybe I shouldn't get too serious, unless he can start saying no to some of those female friends. Um, then it's gonna, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna make a lot of room for me, and I think it should, it should narrow. Yeah. If that makes sense, totally, you're, you're, yeah. the, the guy's focus should narrow to where he's not interested and showing interest. And because let me tell you, something that's really hard for people, and it's really unfair. My wife shouldn't have to compete with anyone for my attention. Hmm. If you don't feel like you. When, if you don't feel like the person you're with, if you feel like you're competing for their attention, it's probably a sign that you shouldn't get too, too close for them because they're probably not ready. They're, they like giving a lot of people their, their attention. When I'm with my wife, I don't want her to... I, I don't want my wife to, to... I want her to know that she is everything and the only thing and, and I, I don't want her to have to ever worry um, about that. And I don't want her to ever worry about that for me. And that's, I think that's the way it should be in marriage. The closer you are to getting married, maybe engagement. Maybe that would be the, the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was easier. And that's why when I go back to saying it's more of a personal thing, I don't remember having to say goodbye to any female friends when I got engaged. Or like had to like write them a letter. I don't even. I can't remember if we had email or what. Definitely didn't have text. No texting. Yeah. Write a letter saying we're not going to be able to spend as much time now that I'm engaged. Well, you had phones. You could call. Them Phone. Still, yeah, yeah, I could call them on a, on a landline. But um, what was that like? Do you still have to do like one of those turn dial? Things? The rotary dial. Oh, we had push yeah. buttons. Uh, you had buttons. All the numbers. Back then? Yeah, we had buttons on the phone. Um, but the, maybe I'm old school, and that's okay. I think that I wanted to be able to, when, when I wasn't with my, my fiance or with my wife, I was with guy friends. And she would want me to go out and go, go play with your guy friends. Like, go hang with your guy friends. That was a good thing type thing. <laughs> I would never drop her off at a date. My wife, my wife was very studious. My, my wife would, she, she would go to bed like at 10 o'clock, and if she wasn't in bed at 10 o'clock in college, it was because she was studying for an exam. So our dates would end, usually end, like 9 or 10 o'clock. 
And then I would go back and play euchre or hearts or go to the gym until midnight or, or one with the guys, though. I can't remember ever dropping her off and then going and hanging out with other girls. Yeah, girls. That would be, yeah. that just would feel, would feel wrong. Yeah. I think it's good for, I think it's good for, for women to develop good women friends and for guys to develop good guy friends. Maybe that's old school, but I, that's, maybe that's why I say it's a personal opinion because I don't yeah, know no, I, like I can it. use scripture to back it up. Yeah, I like how you said that. The, the, the more serious you get in a relationship, the more narrow your focus should be. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's very helpful. Um, I want to ask um, some questions regarding marriage. We have a few newlyweds in the room tonight. Um, and someone asks, for a newly married couple, how do you establish good communication skills? Um, there's a verse in Ephesians 4 that challenges us um, that our communication should have other people's best interest in mind. The Bible talks about our communication as coming from our heart. Um, there's not a lot of books that I would encourage you necessarily to read to become a better communicator. Usually when we get, become a better communicator, we just become a better manipulator because we can get, get our needs met. The Bible says if your heart's right, it's going to come out through your communication because you'll be unselfish. You'll have the other person's best interest in mind rather than your own. So communication from day one, the more selfish we are, it's, it's to get our needs met, to manipulate, to get what we want. The, the more mature we become, our communication should follow. We have, we're communicating with someone else's best interest in mind, not, not just our own. It becomes more unselfish. That's a challenge. That's not easy. That requires the Holy Spirit. That requires God's help. Um, God, but I, I, want my, my, I want my communication to bless, bless others. I want it to encourage others. I want it to be with their best interests in mind and not just learn to communicate to try to get what I want, to prove a point, to win. Um, if you're competitive out there, um, there's some of you out there. You communicate to win. You communicate to be right. You communicate to prove a point. A mature, unselfish communication the way God's designed it is I'm communicating to try to understand. I'm communicating to try to be a blessing. I'm, I'm communicating to try to encourage, to try to listen, and with your best interest in mind. That's a huge shift. Um, that's a whole sermon. Um, but it's, um, that's, what, that's what Paul tells us. This is a similar question, Andy. What can newlyweds do to grow in and protect their marriage? So it's kind of just a, a, a general question um, for the newlyweds in, in the room tonight is what can I just practically do to grow in my marriage, protect my marriage so that my marriage will last? I know many of us um, uh, in the room tonight, we've experienced divorce in our families. And so, uh, you know, as we've talked about in this series, uh, marriage is intended and designed by God to be a covenant that lasts a lifetime. And so if we're striving for that, Okay, this is a commitment in my marriage now. This is a covenant I've made before the Lord. I have exchanged vows to this person before the Lord that um, I'm in it until death do us part. So what have you found just uh, in your own marriage um, that you could just share with us on how to make marriage last, how to grow and enjoy marriage for the long run? Hmm. Yeah, marriage is challenging. Um, it's, a, it's a great adventure. Um, I, I shared the the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. I think if you're a young couple, I share with all premarital couples, um, 
your goal is to continue to grow physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, so make that, make that your overall goal. We want to prioritize the physical. God created it. It's good. Let's prioritize that. Let's make sure we prioritize the emotional. Let's make sure we're spending time together, um, that, that we're communicating, that we're learning to fight fair. And then let's prioritize the spiritual as well. Let's get involved in a small group. Let's get involved with other couples. Let's serve together. Let's teach a second grade class, Bible Sunday school class. Um, let's, go on, let's go to Honduras and, and go on a mission trip together. Let's, let's build the, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Those are the, the three components um, that marriages will continue to, to try to grow. Um, whether you've been married one year or you've been married 30 years, those are going to be the, the, the steps that you're, that, you're, um, that you're trying to grow physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, uh, and, and then lastly, I'll just say this. Um, pray with each other. Um, that's the homework for premarital cap- couples. If you're going to come see me for premarital, the homework is going to be to pray. Um, God, God allows us to grow closer to the person that we pray to, which is God. We grow closer to God when we pray to him. The person that we pray for, you pray for someone else on a regular basis. God gives you a heart for that person. Um, and then he lets us grow closer to the people that we pray with. So if you're married, um, pray, pray with each other on a regular basis. Be vulnerable with each other. Um, pour out your hearts, but you can do it with your eyes closed. You can share your concerns and your worries and your fears and, and your prayer requests, and you can pray with one another, and you can grow. And God will give you a heart for one another through that, through that, uh, through that time of prayer. Um, couples who don't want to pray together, um, I see them in my office, but not for premarital counseling, but for marital counseling. You don't want to pray with someone that you're not close to. You don't want to pray with someone that you don't trust. You don't want to pray with someone that you're in conflict um, with on a regular basis. And so prayer helps to break that down. It helps keep, it helps keep um, us, our hearts soft. And the men, I can challenge the men, if you're wondering, what does it look like to be a spiritual leader? It looks like I'm initiating prayer with my wife. I'm, I'm letting her know that I serve God. And I, and I humble myself before him, and I want to hear from him, and I want to learn from him, and I want to grow. And so I humble myself enough to pray, and that's what spiritual leadership um, can look like in your marriage is a, is a man deciding, hey, let's pray about this. Your wife is worried about something, worried about the kids, worried about some situation, someone's sick. Hey, let's pray about it. Versus the idea that I can just fix it. Mm-hmm. Just tell me all your problems. I'll fix all your problems because I'm the man. I'm the big provider and protector. I'm going to take care of everything. Versus a man who says, um, I need to get on my knees and pray and ask God for help because uh, I don't have everything figured out. That's what, um, that's what would be huge. Yeah. And it, it's easier said than done. It's, it's hard. Um, sometimes it's hard to pray um, on a regular basis. It's a discipline. It's a habit to, to try to mm-hmm. develop and create um, yeah, and I, I, I like to over-spiritualize things um, and just bring in everything back to the Bible because um, the question is, like, how can I just grow in my marriage? Um, I think you grow in your marriage by you individually in your marriage first growing in the Lord. And I think that, again, back to that verse in Matthew, um, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and the Lord will take care of everything else. When you are first just prioritizing your relationship with the Lord, um, everything is just so much easier in your relationships than with 
your friends, and also your spouse. And so out of an overflow of your relationship with the Lord, then you're able to also grow in your marriage and take care of your marriage and protect your marriage. Um, This was a a general exhortation to believers when Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, He says, you should strive to experience the love of God through a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. And so I apply that to my marriage and think before the Lord, if I want to flourish in my marriage and in my relationship with the Lord, I'm going to strive to have a pure heart before the Lord um, and, and before my wife, a clear conscience. Like I want to make sure that my conscience is clear before the Lord and before my wife. I'm not doing anything I shouldn't be doing. Um, so I strive for a pure heart, a clear conscience, and have sincere faith. And Paul writes that to Timothy. He said that should be our disposition as believers, our attitudes as believers, is to strive for a pure heart, clear conscience, and sincere faith. And when I, again, take my relationship with the Lord into my marriage and I strive to have a pure heart, clear conscience, and, and serve the Lord and my wife with sincere faith, um, when I strive just to have a, a, a great relationship with the Lord, that just manifests itself into my marriage and I'm a new dad, so into my kids as well. Because when I, want, when I love the Lord and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and that's my priority, I'm going to take care of my wife. I'm going to put her first and in her needs above mine. Um, I'm going to naturally uh, want to uh, care for her, provide for her, uh, date her and enjoy her and have fun with her. But that starts out of an overflow of what the Lord's already doing in my heart. And so I, I know in my own marriage, like the seasons where I'm not caring for my wife, I'm not putting my wife above my, myself, I'm not looking for her needs, what's happening? It's because I'm focused on myself. Morgan, I want you to serve me. I want you to meet my needs. I want you to meet my expectations. And that stems from a neglect of my relationship with the Lord. And I'm more just focused on Austin, 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 my needs, my needs, my needs. So when I'm focused on myself, I don't take care of my wife. I don't grow in my marriage. When I look to the Lord and I seek the Lord, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the joy of the Lord, reading my Bible, Everything else with my wife and family is so much easier. And so I would say that is, uh, how do you grow in your marriage? You grow in the Lord first, and that will then, out of an overflow, you'll grow in your marriage. And guys, continue to date your wife and continue to pursue her. Pursuing her doesn't stop now that you're married. just continues. You continue to pursue her and put her above yourself. And and wives, continue to honor and respect your husbands. Why? Because you honor and respect the Lord. And so you focus on the Lord, and then that helps also grow in your marriage. Yeah, one, let me just say, one way to think about it is if you want to mature in your relationship, um, one way to mature is to become less selfish. And so as Austin's talking, he's, he's talking about when I'm maturing, I'm able to look to others. When I'm immature and I'm not growing, I, I'm, I'm more selfish and just focused on my own needs. Um, a lot of times marriage highlights or reveals how selfish we are. And so that's why if you ask couples, sometimes they, they say, wow, the first year is tough. Why, why is it so tough? Well, I had really high expectations and I didn't realize how selfish I was. And so um, we want to mature um, at any point um, by becoming less selfish. That's a practice that, uh, that we want to be just simply as adults. Another verse in Matthew that, that to think about as well when we talk, talk about spiritual growth, it doesn't matter if you're single or you're married, 
And Jesus said, make sure you look at the, the plank in your own eye before you try to take the speck out of someone else's. We can practice that when we're, when we're single or when we're married. You think maybe that you're more entitled when you're married to try to look at your spouse's mistakes and point them out. Um, but yeah, God never, uh, and marriage doesn't give you the ability to become the Holy Spirit for your spouse. Doesn't give you, the Holy, you're not the Holy Spirit for your friends. Um, you're not the one pointing out all their weaknesses. As, as a single person, as a married person, uh, make sure you're spending time looking and being more self-aware at your own struggle, at your own weaknesses, and let the Holy Spirit deal with your friends and your spouse. All right, we'll end on this because we're already kind of over time, um, but maybe we can give five more minutes to these kinds of questions, Pastor Andy, regarding just sexual temptation and lust. We're getting a lot of questions about just um, practical boundaries to put in place. And this, this kind of goes for singles and uh, dating and married couples um, because it just doesn't go away now that you're dating or now that you're married. But uh, Andy, could you just give some, I'm kind of going to summarize a lot of questions into maybe one or two questions. Uh, but what are some practical ways just to guard my mind uh, regarding lust um, and how to deal with sexual temptation and so could you speak to us and give some biblical wisdom to us just regarding just guarding the mind? Um, obviously, um, our culture has made it so easy and accessible to fantasize and to lust. Just turn on your TV, and there's just so much out there now through Internet, social media, TV, computers, media in general, uh, just constantly putting in front of our faces um, Sexually, sexually explicit images or sexually explicit lyrics. So, uh, biblically speaking, how can we, as believers in Jesus, guard our minds, guard our hearts against lust and in dealing with sexual temptation? Yeah, I, I think it's a discipline. Um, I think, as Austin shared, we all are very aware how affordable, accessible, um, available. Um, you know, I, I think back if, if I wanted to look at pornography as a 18-year-old, I would have had to drive to the local 7-Eleven and buy a magazine. Um, no way I'm ever going to go into public and buy something at a local gas station or something when someone I know could walk in or my dad could walk in or I would know the person behind the counter would be like, no way that, but today you just Google something and it's, and it's right there. So the challenge becomes, how can I make this as least accessible as possible, at least available as possible so that I can guard my mind? What are some things I can put in place to make it very difficult for me to be able to, to do that so that I, I can have some time to think about it? Because a lot of times it's just impulse. Impulse and then I want something, I, I go to get it. I'm, I'm hungry, I go to the fridge and get whatever I want. So it's, when, I, when I start off by saying it's a discipline, it's a discipline to, to be able to say no. It's a discipline to say, no, I'm not entitled to, entitled to whatever I want. That comes through maturity. That comes through realizing that there's delayed gratification. That, that, so you make it as difficult as possible. You set up as many roadblocks as possible until your mind wakes up from that impulse and you realize that you allow the discipline to kick in and say, that's not, what I, that's not what I want. It's so interesting, I mean, this question, because 
as Austin alluded to, this isn't a question just for 18-year-olds or 25-year-olds. It could be a question for 35-year-olds, 45-year-olds. We go to men's retreats, and this is one of the most common questions that we have, and it's not just from 18-year-olds. This issue of discipline sexually, it, it doesn't go away when you're married. The, the discipline to, to, to be pure um, isn't, just an, isn't just an issue for single men and women. Um, so we have to learn. We have to learn to be disciplined, and to to pursue God's best, no matter no matter what age we are. That's another myth. That's another unrealistic expectation. Oh well, the the temptations that I'm having, the the, the struggle that I'm having with lust. If, if I could just get married, that would solve that. It doesn't solve that. It doesn't take it doesn't take any of that away. You have to be just as disciplined, and you have to guard your mind and your heart just as much when you're when you're married. Um, so you might as well start. You might as well start now. I think, I think the best way is, is, is literally the discipline of avoiding it, making it as difficult as possible. Um, sometimes there's not a secret to it. Um, accountability can only go so far. I think it, it, it has to start with, with, with the personal discipline because if you want to see an image or you want an experience, it, you can lie to any accountability partner and you can justify it. Usually if you have to justify it, it means that, that it's wrong. But we get pretty good at justifying. We get pretty good at lying to ourselves. And so we need to, it, it starts with us to say, you know, the mind is deceitful and wicked above all things. Um, how can I learn to discipline myself um, so that I can say no to the things of this, of this world? And I, I don't know that there's a lot of secrets to it to make it easy. Yeah, I think it's a, um, a, a, a two-part thing. Like Pastor Andy's saying, you have to cut out and be disciplined the things that you know will only... Um, continue to tempt you, um, but you have to also, after cutting things out, you have to fill back in and replace uh, replace the things you've cut out with truth and with, you know, uh, the New Testament says, think on things above. Set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So, what Paul writes there in Colossians chapter 3, go home, read Colossians chapter 3, is he says, we have died. We have died with Christ. Being a Christian means that now you have surrendered all of your appetites and desires to the Lord and that you no longer live. Now, obviously, yes, physically, yes, but Paul's speaking in spiritual terms. He's saying, Listen, I, I've died. I've died with Christ. Like when I surrendered my life to Jesus, when I became a believer, it didn't just mean I just added Jesus onto my messiness and my brokenness. It means I invited Jesus into my brokenness and into my mess, and I allowed him to do a complete, uh, take complete inventory of my life and do a complete washing and overhaul of the things that don't please him. And that's a daily process. It didn't, doesn't just stop when you become a Christian, but it's a daily thing of the, living the crucified life and laying down my appetites and di- desires to the Lord. So Paul's saying, I've died. I, I, I no longer live. Austin doesn't matter. I don't matter anymore. It's Christ in me. And so then the challenge is, okay, I've died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now I'm going to set my heart and my mind, my, my, my thoughts and my emotions my, my mind and my heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he says, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think on these things. So you cut out the thoughts that don't honor the Lord and that takes daily discipline. 
cutting out devices or people or media that you know only uh, continue to allow the temptation to flourish. You cut that out, but you replace it now with things that honor the Lord, please the Lord. So you get in the Word, and again, this might be basic and very cliche, but you get in your Bibles, you turn on worship music, cut out the, you know, is secular music wrong? No. But if you're listening to sexually explicit stuff, that affects your brain. It actually affects the wiring of your brain. And so you got to cut that out and you fill it with worship music. You read your Bibles. You get into a Bible study where people can encourage you and, and uh, yes, keep you accountable. But you just have to, um, and I, I'm saying you just have to do this. It's easier said than done, as Pastor Andy alluded to. Um, but when you're serious about your love and relationship with the Lord, you get in your Bibles, you listen to worship music, you pray and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you just are real and vulnerable with the Lord. Say, Lord, this is hard. This is so hard. This is so difficult for me. And you know I'm so weak. You know I'm so weak, Lord. And I need you supernaturally. I, I can't do this on my own strength. I need the supernatural help of your Holy Spirit. We don't fight a battle of flesh and blood. We fight a battle of principalities of the darkness of the spiritual air. And, and so this is a spiritual thing. But you have to, have, have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to fill your mind with good thoughts. Because my, my own flesh and my own, my own sinful nature just wants to feed thoughts that are pleasing to me. And maybe it's not even necessarily wrong. But it's just like, I want to focus on what pleases me. I want to live comfortably. But the Christian life is not a comfortable life. It's a life of crucifixion, of, of carrying your cross and dying to self. And that's very difficult. It can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the reading of the word and through, as Pastor Andy mentioned, cutting out things that um, only, um, maybe, maybe to the world, you know, they would think, oh, that's so basic. You're cutting out that TV show. Um, you know, it's not, is watching that TV show inherently sinful? Maybe not, but you know, each of us know our own weaknesses. And so maybe for you, it's just like that song or that show or whatever it might be. Like, d- just treat it seriously and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the root of this. I'm not just going to treat the symptoms. I'm going to get to the root of the problem here and cut out some of those things. Yeah, let me, let me just mention too, just really briefly. When you're struggling with lust or temptation, um, think about it in that, in that moment. Try to figure out, um, am I hungry? Am, am I hurt? Am I angry? What, what, is it that I'm see- what is it that I'm seeking right now? A, a lot of times lust is a, is a counterfeit for real intimacy hmm. um, with friends, with real intimacy with God, and we're seeking something. And so recognize and try to find out what that is. What am I trying to replace this? What, why am, what, what did, what's the hole there that I'm trying to, to, trying to fill right now? What, what, am I, am, and, and think about it. And all of you, as, as you're thinking right now, would be like, am, am I hurt? Is, am I angry about something? Is it just because I'm, is it just because I'm hungry? Is it just, like, what, what is it? What physically, what am I trying to feed right now that I'm, I'm hurting right now? And, or I'm angry about something, or I'm justifying this, or I'm feeling lonely, and so this is trying to fill that hole or that gap. Be aware when, when those feelings come, when, the, when that temptation comes, try to be aware of what, it, what is it that I really need. Th- that's a counterfeit 
What's the real thing that God, that God, wants, that God wants from me? And try to address that. Try to, try to pray about that. Try to ask God, hey God, may, maybe it's just because I don't, I don't have a lot of close friends and I'm just feeling like I, I'm, or I'm feeling lonely or if I'm just feeling, I'm, I'm really angry about, about these things and that just kind of masks it or that just is a distraction. It's like, what's the distraction about? What is it, what is it that you're trying to distract yourself from? Um, and if it's fear or anxiety or hurt, or anger, address those things and see because those and, and see if God can fill you up with, with the right things with, with his love and with his grace and with his peace so that there won't be such the, the need to try to meet those things um, through the ways of the world. It's awesome. Guys, we've already gone over the time that I uh, expected to uh, spend tonight with you, but um, Pastor Andy, would you be able to pray us out? Oh, I'd love to. Let's pray. God, I thank you for everyone in this room, and um, they've stayed long, and they've been listening, and God, I just pray that you would bless each one of them, that you would encourage each one of them, and you know exactly where they are. You, you know if they're single or they're married. Um, you know what their situation is. Um, you know if they're hurting. Um, you know what their needs are. I pray that you would meet each need, that you would provide for each of them, that you would fill them up with your Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible talks about how through your spirit that your love can come into our hearts. God, we need that love. Pray that we would feel loved and we would have your peace and we would have um, your patience and we would be encouraged and strengthened by you no matter what our situation. And so I just pray that for all of us. Um, I pray that for Austin as well. Just pray you would encourage him and strengthen him so that he can be the leader that you've called him to be. And God, I just pray that we would all want to serve you and follow you and that you would bring um, those, the blessings, you would bring the peace, you would bring um, those things that we need as we seek you, as we put you first, you would take care of us. You're a good God. You love us. Remind us, even if we forget, even if we doubt, even if we're not um, trusting you, just pray that you would strengthen our faith so that we could know that you care about us. I ask all these things in your wonderful name. And we all said... Amen. Amen. Amen.